turn to Galatians chapter 1, Galatians chapter 1. We're continuing the series, Ripe, and of course, we're dealing today with another spiritual fruit, or fruit of the Spirit, which is faithfulness. Now, before we get started, I just want to ask this question. Um, how many of you in this room, let me, let me just, we'll do it this way. How many of you have been married 50 or more years? Would you please stand, stand. 50 or more years, married 50 or more years. Wow. Look at this. Great day. Congratulations, guys. We appreciate that. Every bit of this, you can be seated. Every bit of this is a testimony of faithfulness. Man, I didn't know some of you have been married that long. How, wouldn't y'all get married when you were four or something? I mean, great day. I look around. I had no idea it would be that many. Uh, but, y'all, that is a testimony of faithfulness. Some of you possibly have been on jobs for 30 or more years or, or you've done this or done that and, and you've been there. You've stuck it out. It's all about faithfulness. You see, we are to be faithful because God is faithful. Uh, Jeremiah writes in the book of Lamentations, he said, The Lord's loving kindness never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. And here it is. We just sung about it. Great is his faithfulness. Look at the introduction there on your outline. Faithfulness is being dependable in our duties and our devotion to God, others, and principles. Faithfulness is a characteristic of a person who is reliable. It is a person that can be counted on. And so I have a question for you this morning. When it comes to you, as it relates to you, are you reliable? Can you be counted on? I know there are times in, we, in which we let others down and people had an expectation of us and, and it appears that we let them down. But I'm asking you, when it comes to who you are, the essence of who you are, are you one who is found faithful? Now, what about faithfulness in God? How does it relate? Look on your outline. God explains faithfulness. Now, faithfulness is derived from the word faith. Now, faithfulness, if you really think about it, is our response to what we have faith in. Faith is confidence and trust in another or belief in God. So when you look at the whole idea of faithfulness, it's derived from the word faith, which talks about a confidence towards something, a trust towards something. Of course, we know that to be God as it relates to our faith. But then faithfulness is the response to the fact that he is faithful. So look on your outline. There's three things I want you to see as it pertains to faith or faithfulness. First of all, faith referring to the contents of the, of the gospel. When we, when we say, are you of the faith, what we're asking or what someone could be asking is the whole idea of what, what, do you follow the contents of the gospel? Are you faithful to that? Here in, uh, in Galatians chapter 1, Paul is speaking of himself. He's literally giving his testimony. He's telling his story. In verse 17 of Galatians chapter 1, he said, Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to uh, Arabia and returned again to Damascus. What he's talking about is many of us know the story of his whole transformation uh, when he, he met Jesus. And, and what's interesting about that is once he met Jesus, of course he went and his sight was restored, but soon after that he went to the Arabian desert. And it was there that God met with him. It was there in which God, not, he, he not only had a transformed life at this point, but he had a transform, uh, transformation of his perspective of who God is. 
He was found in the faith. And then it says in verse 18, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him for 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed before God, I do not lie. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. Basically, you're saying they didn't know my face. They, they knew of him. Trust me, every Christian knew of the one named Saul who became Paul. Everyone knew him, but they didn't know what he looked like. I mean, his, his picture didn't appear on CNN back then. And, and so you had that whole idea. And he says, but they were hearing only. They only heard of me. He who formerly persecuted us, speaking of the Christian faith, now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy and they glorified God, and Paul said, in me, through his life, through his testimony, through his transformation. Now, boy, you're talking about his testimony. Can you imagine someone's testimony being that grand? Paul had one of those kind of testimonies. I mean, it was, it was it's transformative. It changed his life, but it was all centered around the whole idea of his faith in the gospel. Second of all, Faith return, referring to trusting Jesus at salvation. I mean, we've heard Paul's testimony, but how does it practically play out in our lives? Well, look at Galatians chapter 3. Look at verse 13. It says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That the blessings of Abraham, blessing of Abraham might come upon us, upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit. And how do we receive it? Through faith. Through faith. So, so how do we come to, to God on his terms? Well, we know that it takes repentance. It takes confession. But, but it's all geared and stems around this whole idea of faith. It's an adherence to. It's a belief in. It's a trust in. It's a confidence that is directed towards God. And he talks about it in terms of our salvation. Look here on the screen. I want you to see what Paul says in Romans chapter 10. Many of you are very familiar with these verses, but he talks about a saving faith. He says, if you acknowledge and confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord, and in your heart believe... Now, the word there, believe, means adhere to, trust in, rely on this truth. It's a whole idea of which, in which it takes faith to do this. He says, if you believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, a, a person believes, he adheres to, he trusts in, he relies on Christ. And so he so is justified. He's declared righteous, acceptable to God. And with the mouth, he confesses. He declares openly and, and speaks out freely of his faith and confirms his salvation. You see, what you're seeing here as it relates to, to this whole idea of faith, it's the whole idea in which we're putting our faith in something. We're putting it in Christ. We are trusting that his provision has led to our salvation. And so we see that whole idea of faith. So when we talk about faithfulness, we, could, we are talking about responding by faith to something. Because God is faithful. He built this whole, idea, this whole realm of faith that we can have in the gospel. And, and we respond to it with our own faithfulness. So here's really what it all means. Our response to the faith, which is the gospel, is to be faithful, committed to this, with faith or through faith. 
meaning adhering or believing in. Thirdly, faith referring to the service of Christian duties unto the Lord and others. You see, faith or faithfulness should define who and whose we are. You do know that, right? It should be something that defines us. So look at Galatians chapter 5. If you look at Galatians chapter 5, and I pointed this out when we opened this whole series up. If you look at verses, uh, verse 16, he talks about the fact that there's the, the walking in the spirit and the walking in the flesh. And he talks about how they war against one another. And then he goes on in verse 19, he says the works of the flesh. And he gives you this exhausted list of those things that used to define who you were. Okay, you see that, right? That's what used to define who you were before you came to Christ. Now that you've come to Christ, we see in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, and here it is right here, faithfulness. Now, when we look at this list, there's nine that are mentioned there. So far, we've looked at all those before faithfulness that you see there in the list. And, and many times, I think we look at the list and we say, oh, oh you, know, you know love is important. Oh, love. I mean, if you, don't, if you don't have love, you don't have anything. The list is really doesn't mean anything unless love's in place. And, and you're, you're right, really. And then someone would look at joy and say, oh, my goodness, there's the whole attitude in which we're doing this. It's, it's, it's got to be important. And peace is the foundation for which we can even do what we're doing. And, and then we come to this whole idea of long-suffering. And we know what that's about and kindness and goodness. But faithfulness is very important in the list. It, it really, when you think about the whole idea of faithfulness, it really does define who you are. It defines who you are and whose you are. Look at the footnote there on your outline. Concerning spirit fruit, faithfulness is the trait we see in God that is produced in us by the Holy Spirit, enabling us to be trustworthy. Trustworthy. One thing that will define you as a Christian or as a follower of Jesus Christ is the fact that you're trustworthy. And we're going to show you how that breaks out in the rest of the sermon here in just a moment. And so we see that. Now, second of all, God exemplifies faithfulness. So, so here's what's really interesting about this whole concept. The reason we're called to be faithful is because God is faithful. It's a part of who he is. It, it, it defines who he is. It should define who we are. And so, first thing you see there on your outline, God's person is faithful. His whole personality, who he is. You see, God modeled faithfulness in the past. When you read the Old Testament, what are you reading? You're reading the account of God's faithfulness towards man, towards man who reached out to him. Next, God is modeling faithfulness in the present. Many of us have testimonies of that. God will model faithfulness in the future. And so we see he modeled it in the past. He's modeling it now as we live, and he's going to model it in the future. Guess what? The Bible says that Jesus is coming back. You know what, I need? You know what I'm going to assume? Because he was faithful in the past, and he's faithful in the present, and the day in which I live, I'm trusting, and my faith is in him, and I, that's the reason it's easy to be faithful towards him, because he keeps his word. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 7, Therefore, know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy, and he says this, for a thousand generations. That's a long time, isn't it? A long time. And he's faithful 
to all those. So how is God faithful? 2 Timothy chapter 2. If we are faithless, or really the question is this, how faithful is God? If we are faithless, God remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Now that's a very interesting verse. Here's what that means. Even when I'm unfaithful, who's faithful? God's faithful. And the reason it is that way is because it can't be any other way. God is who he is. And, and he is faithful. Can't, God cannot do what he is not. Meaning he cannot be unfaithful. It's impossible for him to be unfaithful. Because of the nature of who he is, he is faithful. Now, next, look on your outline. God's word is faithful. Not only is the person of God faithful, God's word is, is faithful. The Bible says in Psalms 119, all your commandments are faithful. I mean, Psalms 119, what is that? It's all about God's words, all about his precepts, all about his ways. If you want to try to understand what God's word means, read Psalm 119. But, but the, whole, uh, the whole idea of it is the fact that those commands, those things that you read there are faithful. God's word is faithful and it's faithful to protect us and provide for us. That's God's word. Next, God's son is faithful. The son is faithful. In Hebrews chapter 2, the Bible says, therefore, and all things, he, meaning Jesus, had to be made like his brethren. That, that means that Jesus left heaven, came to earth in the likeness of who we are. Okay? Uh, that's amazing when you think about it. That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. You see, a high priest or the priest was known as the mediator between God and man. And the Bible says that God left heaven, took on the, 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 the resemblance of a man, became a man, and, and walked into our world. And the reason he did that is so that he could basically see what it was like to live as a man, where he could be a true mediator, that he could see and extend his mercy and his faithfulness towards us pertaining those things to God. And then he says this, to make propitiation. That means wrath satisfied. God had a a, a wrath towards those who don't know Christ, towards sin, and it, and it would be poured out upon us except for the fact that Jesus came to keep that from happening to us who know him, who, 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 draw, who, who come to the faith, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that, he himself has suffered, being tempted. He is able to aid those who are tempted. Here's what that literally means. Jesus, the Bible tells us, was tempted in every way. Every way imaginable when he walked the face of the earth. Do you think someone who's faced that can re relate to what we're going through? Oh, yeah. That's the reason he was the perfect high priest. He was God who became the God-man. He became the true mediator between God and mankind. You see, in the book of Revelation, Jesus is referred to as the faithful witness. The witness who is faithful, meaning you can stake your life and eternity on whom? On Jesus. You can put it all on him. I found this story some years ago, but back during World War II, uh, many of you remember, maybe some of you remember, I had to read about it. But anyway, back in World War II, uh, we know that Germany was bombing Great Britain. And, and what was interesting about that whole thing, if you go back and do any research on the history, 
you're going to find that literally the king and queen of England were faithful to their subjects. And you know how they were faithful to their subjects? By staying in the palace. They didn't run. They stayed there with the people, which is pretty interesting. Uh, They shared the same inconveniences and losses as the private citizens. They endured the same rations and water limits. At least that's what history records. They were faithful even though it was not convenient and was even sacrificial to be faithful, yet they were faithful to the people. Here's what's interesting about it. Jesus was also faithful all the way to the cross. You remember the night in Gethsemane? We studied that a while back. The night in Gethsemane, I mean, there was a struggle going on. There was a sacrifice that needed to be made. And Jesus stepped to the plate and said, I'm willing to take that sacrifice. I'm willing to identify. Here's what he was saying. I'm willing to identify with people. The sins of the people I will identify with. How do we know he did that? Because he went to the cross and the sin, our sin was placed upon him. He identified with that. God poured his wrath upon that sin that was upon him. And as a result, we were able to go free by trusting in him and that provision when it comes to our eternity. You you see, Jesus, it all came down to that whole thought and that whole thing that we read in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, not my will, but your will. And that's really what it all comes down to. If we're ever going to be faithful, for many of us, it means we got to get out of the way. If we're ever going to be faithful, it means we're going to have to sacrifice. It means it will be inconvenient to do certain things. But, we're, but that's what it requires when it comes to being faithful. God exemplifies faithfulness through his son. Next, God expects faithfulness. And this is really where it becomes difficult. It really is. I mean, the things that Jesus modeled, how many of you would agree that they're difficult to follow? I mean, they really are. Those who, 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 who slap you, what do you, you turn the other cheek. Those who persecute you, you don't, you don't bring persecution upon them. I mean, you look at the example that he said, and not only did he say those words, he lived those words. And then he says, these things in which I lived, I want that to mark who you are. I want that to be your identification. And so because God is faithful, he expects us to be faithful. Many of you have been to Yellowstone National Park. I've never been there, but, but I hear there's over 200 geysers. There, there, there is one that is the favorite. It's not the biggest. It doesn't put on the best show, but it's faithful. Guess what the geyser's name is? <laughs> Old Faithful. Every 65 minutes, you can count on it. Old Faithful shoots a stream of boiling hot water 170 feet in the air. So why is Old Faithful the favorite? Because it can be counted on. You can see it. All you got to do is show, and it happens. You see, that really, when people look at us, they need to know that we can be counted on. We as fathers, our our children need to know that we can be counted on. We as mothers, we as sons, as daughters, we need to have those in our life that can count on us. You may not be tremendously gifted, but you know something? You can be faithful. I remember talking to a pastor some years ago, and, 
And he was asking me, he said, I've got to make an important decision about the staff in which I have at the church. And, and I just kind of want to get your input on some things. And, and, and God gave me this a long time ago. I saw this play out. I, I said, well, let me just tell you one thing that I would look at. It's great to have someone who's tremendously gifted, but it's greater to have someone who's tremendously faithful. And y'all, that is so true. It's the faithfulness. It's, it's just the fact that, that, that they're there. And some of us don't have the best of, of gifts. We, we're not the, the elitist when it comes to the gifts, but we can be counted on. And it's that whole idea, whole idea, can God depend on you? You see, the Bible puts a high premium on faithfulness. The faithfulness of men gets the attention of God. I mean, think about that. Have you ever lived your life in such a way with this thought? If I go out here and live my life today, what would draw not only attention to God, but what would draw God's attention to me? And it's not one of these things where we're trying to go out here and show off. It's just the whole idea that we want God to see that we are faithful, that we can do these things. Think about what God did. God used David, Moses, Joseph, Mary in great ways, all because they were faithful. What, what caught his eye about them? Is it because they were tremendously gifted? No, sometimes he used those who were not gifted. Moses, who was going to become the spokesperson for two to three million people before Pharaoh, he even admitted that he wasn't gifted himself. He basically said, I can't go do this. I'm not. And God said, no, you can. And it's almost like God sometimes purposely uses those who are not the most gifted so it must be, at least in my mind, it's not the gifting that draws God's attention. It's the faithfulness and how he can use us. So, so, so here's one thing I think we need to understand. Why are we so blessed to have such great people here in this church? It is, because, is it because we have it all together? Is it because we are doing everything God's commanded us to do? Is it because we're so extremely gifted as a people? No, I believe it's because we attempt to be faithful to what he's called us to do. And y'all, that's what brings God's blessings into our lives. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. There's a, something very interesting there that I want you to see. And many of you are very familiar with the, with the passage. But as you're turning there, I want you to think of this. There's several ways we are to be faithful. I mean, our, our lives need to exemplify faithfulness. And, and by the way, here's what we need to understand. Faithfulness is not one of them things God looks at and, and looks at us and says, you know... I see you have this, you have this, and it sure would be nice if you'd be faithful. No, he puts the premium on faithfulness. He expects it of us. And, and so there's several areas. So look on your outline. We are to be faithful in our work. We're to be faithful in our work. Ecclesiastes chapter nine says this. Whatever your fi hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Faithfulness is doing your duty until your duty is done. It's that whole idea that, that, that you're going to do it to the best of your ability. How many of you have done everything in your life to the best of your ability? Some of us would have to admit, nah. There were some days I kind of checked out. <laughs> there were some days I didn't give my best. But you know something? God expects us to be faithful, to show up, to do what we're called to do. Yeah, let, let me, a second thing. We are to be faithful in our worship. Did you know that he expects that? Hebrews chapter 10 is what we're looking at here. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. Many of you are very familiar with the passage. Look at verse 23. He says, let us hold fast 
the confession of our hope without faith, for he who promised is faithful. In verse 23, what the writer of Hebrews is saying, he's saying, let us hold fast this confession, this this whole idea of, of what our faith is grounded in. Let us hold fast. Let's don't waver. Let's stick to it. Now, if you've been here on Wednesday nights recently, we're talking, we're really looking at the Bible, I believe, in a whole different way that many of us have looked at it. And it's the whole idea that many of the verses that we hold on to get through the struggles of life that we hold on so dearly, that that we think it relates to certain things that we're faced with. But do you realize that the epistles were written in the context of severe persecution was coming to the believers? And I've shared that many times. And, and what's interesting about this is, is when you read this in verse 23, he again, the context are those who are being persecuted. He's saying, hold fast. Hold on with everything you got. And the problem with many of us is we let go a lot. Well, it's becoming too difficult. I, I don't know that I can do that. I don't know if I want to be a part of it. He says, no. You hold fast, you hold fast to the hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. The one that your faith is built upon, the one that your faith is built upon, he is faithful to see you through. So many times we lose sight of that. But how can we become more faithful? He says, verse 24, let us consider one another. So, So really when you look at the whole idea of the church, we're people who are brought together who come together to hold fast to the gospel, to the, to the faith that we have because we know that he is faithful. And guess what? We, we not only do that, we need others around us to help us with that. That's what this is saying. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. When, when we're called to come together, we need to come together because we need to encourage each other. I'm trying to do that right now from this pulpit. The, the, the small group leaders are trying to do that. You need to do that as a group. We, we need that together, as is the manner of some. Uh, and, and he goes on, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. So much the more as you see the day approaching. The day approaching is the day of judgment. There's going to come a day of judgment. And he's saying that's coming. Now, here's what's interesting about this. If all this is written in the whole context of persecution, he's saying, don't forsake the assembly of yourself. As a matter of some, some have walked away. And you you know what I must assume based on the context of the first first century? It's because the persecution got hot. It's because it became very difficult to live out the Christian faith. Here's what we do know about those in the first century. And by the way, it still goes on today in the 21st century. And by the way, here in America, it's coming too. There were those who were being persecuted. And the way they were being persecuted is many of them lost their jobs because they professed Christ. And that was one of the mild versions of it. Some, their family would turn their back on them. Some would literally lose their life. And you see, when you look at this, he's saying, hold fast. Hold on with everything you got. Be steadfast. We saw that earlier. Be long-suffering. But not only that, hey, listen, you be faithful to what I've called you to. Next, we are to be faithful in our witness. Paul is telling Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He says, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, there's been others who's heard me say this, 
Commit these to faithful men. You find those who are faithful in, in this congregation that God's placed you in. You find those men. You see them. You, you do that. Who are able to teach others also. So here's what he's saying. The faithfulness needs to continue. Those who are faithful, it needs to be imprinted on the next generation to be faithful. And y'all, that is a very difficult task that many of us have for this next generation. Because they're going to face things that we have never faced. I know you're sick of me saying it, but it's true. My children, my grandchildren will face a different world than what I lived in and what you lived in. And we need to understand that we need to be there to, to, to find them who are faithful, to, to, to encourage your faithfulness, to encourage them to continue on, even when it's not convenient, even when it means it's sacrificial. They need to stand firm. Next faithful in our relationships. And y'all, that's really what's at the core of what's going on with our country right now. We're just not faithful to our relationships. That's, that's what's happening. We, we see all these different things, Supreme Court decisions, and we see all these different things, and we want to cast blame on all these things. And by the way, that's just a, the fruit of something else that's going on with, with our country. But really, when it really comes down to it, we're just not faithful in our relationships. If you were to look at Ephesians chapter 5, what you'll find is in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is telling the church at Ephesus, he's basically saying, be faithful in your walk, in your conduct, in your testimony. Be faithful. Stand firm. And then he says, be faithful in your relationships. He's talking to husbands. He's talking to wives. A little later, he's talking to parents. He's talking to children. A little bit later, he's talking to employers. He's talking to employees. And he's saying, make sure that all the relationships that you have in your life, that you're faithfully called to those things and you're standing steadfastly. And by the way, you do know that the relationships that I just named, that if, you're, if they know whether the faithfulness identifies you or not because they know you well. They know you well and, and we need to be found faithful. If you were to look closely at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, it's where we have the whole idea of the armor of God. And, and it's interesting, in chapter 5, he says, okay, be faithful in your walk, in your conduct, in your testimony. Be faithful in your relationships, you husbands, you wives, you parents, you children, employers, employees. And then he says in verse 10, he kind of tells you how you're going to pull that off. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, now think about that. What that implies is this. If we're going to be found faithful, if we're even going to have the, the possibility of being faithful, we got to be strong in whom? In the Lord. You're not going to pull this off on your own. It's the power of his might. And then in verse 11, he says, put on the whole armor of God that you can be able to withstand the things that come at you. Let me ask you a question does the world come after you at times? Does the enemy come after you at times? Does your own flesh betray you and come after you at times? Y'all, yeah, the whole idea of being faithful is not easy. I mean, we're fighting a battle on all fronts when it comes to being faithful. And then you skip down to verse 16 of Ephesians chapter 6. He says, above all, he, he starts listing the armor of God, taking the shield of faith with which you are able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, wicked one. Now, why do we need to take up the shield of faith? Here's, here's why we need to consider it strongly 
in the generation in which we live now. It's because everything's coming at us to knock us off our faith, to get us to second guess everything about who we are, who the creator is. Did he really create this world? Did he really send his son? Is marriage really what it really says it is? All these things. And, and, and when he's talking about these things, the shield of faith, when he holds it up, here's what you need to understand. Truth must be there when it comes to the whole idea of faith. And so you're holding up not only faith, uh, the, your trust, what you're adhering to, what you put your faith in. It's, it, hopefully it's the truth of the gospel and the truth of God's word. But here's what we need to understand. The, the world, the enemy, is, has created such a structure of deception that those who don't know the truth are caught up in it. And guess what he's telling those who do know the truth? You need to be warned. This won't be easy to stand against. And that, y'all, that's what we need to understand. You see, so many times, and that's the reason it gets so frustrating as a, as a church leader, so many times you see people who flippantly live their life when they don't realize that there's a war that we're facing. And the reality, the reality of that war is, is growing more fierce in, in the generations that pass by. And we got to wake up to it. Husbands, are you faithful to your wives? Wives, are you faithful to your husbands? The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 28, a, faith, a faithful man will be richly blessed. So here's some questions. Can your employer count on you? Can your family count on you? Can your church family count on you? Next, God examines faithfulness. I mean, listen, when you read a lot of the parables, and we're going to look at one, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 25. In many of the parables, it's very interesting what Jesus is doing. It's like in some of the parables, he's making evaluations. He, he's, 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 he, you can always see him judging these things. And, and in Matthew chapter 25, he's talking about it here in verse 14. I want you to look at Matthew 25, 14. This is Jesus' words. He says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. So here's what's interesting about verse 15. He had five, two, and one. He basically looked at who he was dealing with and he saw certain things in these three people. He gives one five, one two, and one one. He, he's already made some type of judgment already. Okay, some people would say, okay, what kind of judgment has he already made already? I tell you, it's, I'm getting ready to read it to you, but I think he's looking for the faithful. And I think he thinks he's already probably found one. And so you see, he, he's up there and he's looking at it from here. Verse 16, then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. So he goes from what? Five to 10. Would you say he's pretty faithful with the five he had? Oh yeah. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. It was a day of reckoning. Let's see how faithful you were with what I gave you. Okay, that's what we're talking about here. So he who had received the five talents came and brought the other five talents saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents beside them. Now let me just ask you a simple question. The guy who got the five 
did he have any of his own before, before the master got there? He didn't have anything, did he? So who gave him the five? The master did. And he was able to duplicate the five. But it all came from the hand of the master. And here's what we need to understand. We are given certain things that there's an expectation on those things. An expectation of faithfulness. And that's what you're seeing here. And then he goes in verse 21. His Lord said to him, after he had seen, seen the prophets double, so to speak, well done, good, and what servant? Faithful servant. Good. You did good. You did a good thing. But, but he's identifying the fact that he was faithful. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the what? The joy of our Lord. You mean there can be joy in all this? Oh, yeah. He goes on, he said to one who had received, the, uh, the, then the one who received uh, two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents besides them. He said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man. Well, let me ask you a question. If we're looking at a picture of, of, of someone in a relationship with God, has he accurately seen who the master is when he says, you, you being a hard man? No. He, first of all, his perception of who God was way off. And that's where it all went wrong. He, he saw him as a hard man, a malicious man, a man who would get him. Y'all, that's a problem with many people in our culture today. And the reason they're not faithful to the things of God is because they have not correctly identified who God is and who he truly is. And so this, there's where it all started, right there. Reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, boy, this is tough. You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered. He's basically saying, I entrusted you to do those things. This is what was expected of you. So you ought to have deposited my money with the, even the bankers. And at my coming, I would at least receive that with interest. The bare minimum. So what's interesting about this whole account here is he's making judgments, and if you look closely, the judgments are based on the faithfulness to the task they were called to do. Y'all, the same thing. There's a, there's a very similar expectation of that with us. God has given us certain things. He's entrusted us with certain things, gifts, talents, resources, time, whatever you may call it. He's given us all these things, and there's going to be an evaluation of those things. Now, here's what is interesting. God examines faithfulness. Moses, think of Moses, 40 years on the backside of the desert serving his father-in-law. He was there. Do you know what he was doing? He was faithful to what God had called him to do for those 40 years of his life. Guess what? God entrusted him with more responsibility. Next 40, 40 years, he's leading millions in a great task. What about Joseph of the Old Testament? He was faithful in the hardship. He was faithful in the persecution. So much so much so that God lifted him up into a position of great responsibility. King David was faithful in God's timing. I mean, you look at what he did. David made a lot of mistakes. How many of you are glad that even in spite of the mistakes we made, God forgives and he, he still is faithful to us? 
And we find that in the story of David. I think that's the reason David's story is so refreshing is that we see that God can still use a person even when they're, they're marred. And, and, and it all comes back to the whole idea of faithfulness. So really when we take from this, here's what we need to take. We need to be faithful where God has placed us. But here's a footnote. What hinders faithfulness? What hinders it? Well, we could list a bunch of things here, but there's four things. Actually, you have three. I have a fourth one I'm going to give you. But there's four things here. First of all, living in the flesh. You can't accomplish anything in the flesh. You do know that, right? Nothing that's lasting. In Galatians 2.20, Paul nailed it. I have been crucified with Christ. I've identified with his death. That's basically what he's saying. In him, I've shared in his crucifixion, meaning I died in Christ, and now I live life in a whole new way. And then he goes on. It is no longer I who live. That means everything's changed about how I live my life. But Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live in the body. I live by how? By faith. That By faith. By adherence to, reliance on, complete trust in, in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. You see, if we're going to be faithful to the causes God's called us to, somehow we got to get out of living in the flesh and start living in the spirit and realizing there was a death that occurred when we came to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. It's no longer the agenda of self. It's the agenda of what God wants to do in and through us. Next, what hinders faithfulness? Living in unbelief. Living in unbelief. You see, unbelief has many faces. How many of you have ever doubted God before? That's a version of unbelief. You ever looked at a situation and thought, man, I'm not sure if God can turn this one around. Some of you may have been there this week. Have you ever looked at your children and thought, oh, my goodness, I just don't know? Or looked at your own thing, the the thing that God called you to, and thought, there's no way I can do that. All the doubt. Another reason that we see unbelief, another version of it, is this whole idea of what I said earlier. We just don't see God as he truly is. The problem with many people today is they they don't view God in the proper way. And that could come one of two ways. They do that out of convenience because they want to see him as as, as something else. Or number two, we as a church have done a poor job of representing him. It's got to be one of those two things because God is God. He is who he is. The word tells us who he is. It's very clear who he is. Shouldn't be any confusion as to who he is. But many times our unbelief comes by way of not seeing God properly as he is. In Romans 4... It says, he, meaning Abraham, did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that he who, that, that what he had promised, what God had promised, he was able to perform. He was able to do it. And we see that many times the reason we don't see things happen or we're not faithful is unbelief. Thirdly, what hinders unfaithfulness? Living in fear. That third servant who had the one talent. What motivated him not to do what he was called to do? The Bible says he was afraid. He said that. I was afraid. He not only didn't see God from a proper perspective, he was afraid. And many times, and here's what we think. We think, oh, he was just afraid. Surely God's not going to come down on that. I mean, you can't blame God for being fearful. Listen, the opposite of faith is fear. 
I mean, we're living in, in a whole way, in a different way that's contradictory to what God's called us to live in. And that's how we miss it so many times. So living in fear, Philippians chapter one says this, so that, it, so, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard. Paul's basically talking about he's been witnessing to the palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ and most of the brethren in the Lord having become confident by my chains are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He was chained. He, he possibly the next day, he didn't know, could lose his life. He could be headed for what he was in there for. And he's basically out there just sharing his story. His fear was not paralyzing him. His unbel- there was no unbelief in him. He, he was doing, he wasn't living in fear. He was proclaiming boldly the message Fourthly, this is not on your outline, but this is something that just came up this past weekend. Living in an immoral world. I believe this hinders our faithfulness at times. I don't know about you, but Friday when I heard of the verdict from the Supreme Court, I was very discouraged. I was grieved. Some of you are not going to like this. I was angry. I really struggled. And, and, and you know something? I think so many times, and this is, this is where a lot of my anger stems from, <laughs> is that we live in a world that is very deceptive. We have people, and by the way, we're all born in sin. You know that, right? We're all born, we're all born with sinful tendencies. Right there. It's all right there, okay? We all are. And so, yeah, there's those tendencies. That, and what happens many times is those tendencies are, are there. And, and all of a sudden, a person will grow. And all of a sudden, there's affirmation. Oh, no, just go with the tendency. God's word says it's sin. God's word says don't live this way. <laughs> that, it, that, it, that it's immoral. That it's wrong. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, they grow up. And, and there's a world affirming. Saying, yeah, it's, it's really okay. Be who you are. See, here's where the problem is. It's all about identification. Who are we identifying with? If we identify with Christ, we're a child of God. There's a purpose for our lives. There's something he wants to accomplish in and through our lives. But if we're identifying with anything else beyond that, identifying with the world in this message, guess what? Deception is everywhere. If we're identifying with a certain gender or identifying with a certain thing, it's all about identification. That's where the problem has become. And so what happens is people are identifying with something that is foreign to what God's word says that is not right, that's immoral. And so all of a sudden you've got this whole thing playing out over here and then the government comes along and says, well, you could really just call it another level of deception. And so that person who was born in sin, like we're all born in sin, all of a sudden grows up And the deception becomes greater and greater and greater and greater. And they're no longer identifying with what God called them to be. They're identifying with something else that the Bible says is immoral. Y'all, that's the problem. That's, That's what angers me. It's another level of deception for people who who are born in sin like we all are who are just deceived as to what God desires for them and they'll never have fully what God beautifully wants for their lives. 
because of the levels of deception that are all around us. And here's what happens to many of us. Our faith is hindered. Our faithfulness is hindered because we live in an immoral world. And here's what some of you did on Friday when you heard about it. Why do we even try? Some of you can identify with that. But y'all, we've been called to what? To be steadfast, to hold up under the heavy burdens of this culture and of the li- our own lives. We've been called to be faithful. Faithful to the word of God, holding up and, and being what God's called us to be. Now let me tell you this. I came across an article. Someone actually laid it on my desk this morning. I thought it was a wonderful article by Russell Moore. And, and basically, here's what he was saying. Once, these, once you have this whole idea of marriage being redefined, basically what you have is a whole culture of people who've finally gotten what they've always wanted. Let me ask you a question. When it comes to something that's contrary to God's word, that you've, something you've always wanted and you finally got it, what does it create in you? A void. It's still, it's still not what you thought it was. It still leaves you empty. It still leaves you lacking. It still leaves you incomplete, desiring more, wanting more, going after something. And guess what? The perversion can continue at that point for many. But for some, they may wake up and say, you know something? It's not what I thought it was. The woman at the well, when Jesus encountered her, it was not what she thought it was. It was something totally different. He said, thirst, but I'll give you something that will cause you not to thirst any longer. I'll give you something that will truly satisfy. And here's where we need to be as a church. We need to realize and we need to learn how to communicate to the culture out there. And guess what? It's not anger that should come. It's compassion. It's the realization that there's deception, that people are under deception, just like many of us were. Maybe in other different ways, in so many different ways. But it can't be a message of anger. It has to be a message of compassion because they are deceived. They're not living in the way God's called them to live. Listen, standing here saying this is not easy. I know how the world feels about it. I know how some of you possibly feel about it. But I'm trying to present God's truth. And he's very clear as to what satisfies the soul. And he says it's only found in him. And by the way, him, you know who him was? The way, the truth, and the life. That's the only way it's going to be found. And so we as a church, we don't need to look at Friday as hopelessness and, oh, my goodness. We, need to, we almost need to see it, as the article says, as a, as, a, as a place of new ministry. To say, you know something? Yeah, it angers me, the enemy, the world, and where it, it just angers me. It just, I, I understand every bit of that mindset, but what's, what's the anger towards? Is it, is it towards the person who's in deception? Or is it towards the sin of deception that's everywhere? It needs to rest solely where the deception is, not in that person. We are not to hate those who disagree with us. We reach out to those who disagree with us with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Y'all, that's what the message needs to be. We need to take the stand. There's a lot of churches, a lot of denominations that are caving now. You know that, right? They don't stand for truth anymore. Don't stand for truth anymore. But then there's the other extreme of churches that are out there and it's just a message of hatred. We don't need to identify with either one of those. 
the gospel is a message of love that reaches out to people and says, hey, this is truth. You're living over here in this deception, but this is truth. And my prayer is that you will find him, him in the truth. I want to close. Look at the application. We are called, we are not called to be necessarily successful. We are called to be faithful, just as God is. You as an individual, we as a church are going to make many mistakes as we make our way through this world, trying to figure out what God's called us to do. We've made mistakes in the past. You've made mistakes in the past. But you know, it's not always a message of being successful. It's a message of being faithful to what he's called us to do. And so here's my, here's my thing to you. Aren't you glad that God is faithful to us? Let me read you the verse. If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And to what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And by the way, every one of us who have ever lived were born in sin. And the reason we know we were born in sin is because we sinned. And he's willing to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you know why? Because he's faithful to do that. Aren't you glad he is? Would you stand to your feet? Father, we just thank you so much for your love and your goodness. And, and Father, I just thank you for the fact that you are a God of love. But also, God, you're a God of expectation. Father, you're a God that, 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 that wants truth to be lifted up. For deception to be dispelled. For light to invade the darkness. And Father, I'm afraid so many times we as the church, possibly we as individuals sometimes in our attempts to bring light, to bring truth, we send a message that's not very clear. Father, help us as a church, uh, not only as a church located here on this highway, but uh, the church in general here in America. Father, help us to be faithful to what you've called us to do, to hold up truth, to hold up truth in love but also hold up truth in such a way that that truth reaches out to the hearts and souls of those who are in deception. Father, give us your heart on the matter. Help us to speak into the darkness with your truth, with your light. We thank you for it. Father, if there's someone here today, Lord, that's struggling, maybe they're just so heartbroken over what's going on and they see hopelessness. They don't see hope, they see hopelessness. Father, I just pray that you help them to realize that you're the one who overcame the world. You're the one that will overcome the world. You're the one that's going to come and set it all straight. But Father, in the meantime, help us all to be faithful to what you've called us to do, to reach out to those in deception. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness. If there's someone here today that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray today will be the day to give the heart to you. Father, we thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Get ready.